music that changed the world. Together for the first time on the big, big screen, Bad Manners, The Beat, The Body Snatchers, Madness, The Selector, and The Specials. Here it is, Dance Craze. If you're not in the mood to step back, grab yourself a seat. This might not be after Jamaica, but we promise you a dream. Hi, this is Mark Wasserman. Welcome to the Skaboom Podcast, which is the audio companion to my forthcoming book, Skaboom, an American Ska and Reggae Oral History, which will be published in early 2021. As I worked on researching and writing Skaboom, two films were mentioned by many of the musicians I interviewed. One was the 1972 Jamaican crime drama, The Harder They Come, starring Jimmy Cliff. Jamaica's first feature is America's number one cult movie. Jimmy Cliff, an existential hero as good as anything James Dean or Brando portrayed in the 50s. Crawdaddy. In the backyard of paradise, life and marijuana are cheap. More guts, wit, humor, and sheer exuberance than most movies you'll see in any one year. Vincent Canby, New York Times. The other was the 1981 two-tone concert film Dance Craze. They both play an important role in the development of a uniquely American version of ska and reggae. And in this episode, I'll shed more light on dance craze, including its origins, filming, and historical impact. But first, a little bit more about my own experience with dance craze. When I first discovered Two-Tone at the age of 14, I wanted to know more. I needed to know more. I could not actually get enough of the music. So while I spun albums in my small suburban bedroom by the specials, the selector, the beat, madness, and bad manners, I studied the album covers like they were the Dead Sea Scrolls, trying to discover as much as I could from the song titles, the lyrics, and album credits. I did the best I could, considering New Jersey was a long way from life in Birmingham, Coventry, and London. And these precious pieces of vinyl and colorful cardboard could only offer me a two-dimensional experience of sound and images in my mind. Dance Craze, on the other hand, offered two-tone in all its live, frenetic, cinematic glory. I'd heard rumors about the film, but it always remained just out of my reach. And it remained out of reach for many, many years. Filmed during 1980, Dance Craze sought to document the lightning-in-a-bottle quality of the two-tone bands that had captured the attention of the UK public and dominated the British pop charts between 1979 and 1981. Unless you lived it, I think it's nearly impossible to convey the energy that two-tone bands put out live and the energy that their shows created. Right, who here gets up at 7 o'clock in the morning? Do you work in factories? Yeah, all right. Are you, uh, are you ever three minutes late? Right, you're like this one, then. They had tapped into an adolescent and teen energy that drove the live shows. Here are a few first-hand memories and testimonials of young people who saw the bands live in 1980 that I found on a BBC website. This is Chris from Blackpool, who said, 
I saw The Selector, The Specials, and Madness all play a gig together at the Blackpool Mecca circa 1979. Absolutely fantastic. It kicked off with Preston football fans. I was only 16, and the lads of 18 and 19 or so seemed so much bigger. I remember seeing Neville Staple fall off the speaker system while performing the notorious Monkey Man. Here's Helen from Coventry, who said, I saw the specials play in Coventry. I was only 14, and it was still the best gig I've ever been to. My enduring memory, though, is Jerry Dammers climbing up onto the speakers, jumping around, and swinging an enormous piece of snot from his nose. These first-hand accounts are part and partial of Dance Craze, which was filmed at exactly the right place and the right time to capture it and document it. When it premiered in London on February 19, 1981, the two-tone star was no longer ascendant, and despite an enthusiastic response from its target audience of under-18s, the UK music press was somewhat ambivalent. Time Out in the UK had this to say. As a blueprint for an investigation of rock's two-tone phenomena, Dance Craze works well. Not only does Joe Dunton's photography make the movie look sumptuous, but the music catches the genre's brittle beat and loose-limbed spontaneity. However, if you're over 14 and have seen any of the bands, the experience soon becomes relentlessly dull. Despite scattered, wakey-wakey devices like Path A news footage from the 50s and 60s, the catalog of live footage is devoid of any context that might explain the origins, development, and effects of the movement. Pity. I like that British version of the word pity. Here in the U.S., the reaction and response to the film was similarly mixed. Janet Maislin, the film critic of the New York Times, gave it a mixed review in April 1982, saying, Dance Craze isn't anything more than a chance to watch these groups for an hour and a half and to hear a very muddy version of their sound. The lyrics are almost indistinguishable throughout. For anyone interested in this happy, energetic music, that may be more than enough. As a ska-obsessed 17-year-old at the time, That would have been more than enough for me, but alas, it was not to be. After a short run at the 8th Street Playhouse in Manhattan during the spring of 1982, the film all but disappeared. As it turns out, the film cinematographer Joe Dunton had shipped multiple prints of the film to a distribution company here in the U.S. after it became a passing fad in the U.K. It quickly became a staple of midnight showings in theaters across California, where it found a very receptive audience including a group of young black teenage musicians from Los Angeles who were experimenting with mixing punk and reggae sounds. You know, pretty early, I thought we invented Sky, but I didn't know what it was called. Playing with reggae rhythms, and we married it with punk rock energy, and I was like, oh, we invented something new, punk rock reggae, what are we going to call it? But Walt, Walt, you know, broke out. The English beat and the selector, those were the first ska bands that I heard. That's Norwood Fisher, the bassist of Fishbone. And then eventually we saw decline of Western civilization and um, dance craze as a double feature at the Fox Theater in Venice. 
changed everything. Dance Craze became a gateway to ska for many other young would-be ska musicians. I think my first, like, big realization of what ska was was after I saw, I saw Dance Craze in an art theater when I was trying to think of the year, maybe it was like 1985. Um, it, was a, it was a double feature with Stop Making Sense. People were dancing, like, in the, in the aisles. I was like, oh, what's going on? That's Mike Park of Skank and Pickle, who grew up in Northern California. Um, and then I really liked Bad Manners from the movie. So I remember going to the record store the next day and buying Class with a K. Um, and so, and then it's kind of like, it started to make sense to me, like, okay. It's fair to say that the film was responsible for motivating many of the young musicians who would go on to create a uniquely American version of ska. And so basically taught myself over the summer to play. And then that in turn, I uh, teaching myself to play is I taught myself to play to a dance craze and then started buying ska albums from there. That's Mark Michelle the bassist of Let's Go Bowling, one of the earliest American ska bands, who watched a VHS copy of the film and learned how to play the bass from listening to the soundtrack album. So that summer of 1981, that's uh, basically taught myself how to play, learning all the tunes on the Dance Craze album. The film and its soundtrack quickly became a staple of many Gen Xers record collections and an influence on the start of many American ska bands. But the story of how Dance Craze was conceived and filmed by Joe Dunton and his team of camera and sound people remains largely unknown. Dance Craze was directed by Joe Massot, who initially wanted to make a film about Madness, whom he had met during their first U.S. tour. At the urging of his son, who was a ska fan, Massot later changed his plans to include the whole two-tone movement. Massot, who had directed the Led Zeppelin film The Song Remains the Same, tapped Dunton then working at Samuelson's, a camera shop in London, to help him. Is that the director, Joe Masso, has sadly gone from us now, he, he made a film called The Song Remains the Same, Led Zeppelin Picture. For the first time on film, the music and mind of Led Zeppelin. You And he used to come back to, to Samuelson's at that time and, and, and uh, chat to me. I was working away. I never went home, really. He, he chat to me. And then, like, five, six years later, he said, hello, Jack. And he said, my son's seen these bands. And he said, you've got to film them, Dad. You've got to film them, Dad. And that's where we came together. That's audio of Dunton, taken from a screening of the film in 2011, describing how he joined the project. In a career spanning 40 years... Dunton championed some of the film industry's key developments, including the development of film and video cameras and lenses that changed filmmaking. Dunton, who is well regarded in the UK and US film industries as a camera and sound expert, was awarded the Member of the Order of the British Empire for his services to the camera and film industry. He has been associated with some of the most well-known directors, including Stanley Kubrick. Dunton developed many cutting-edge firsts during the making of Dance Craze, that are now taken for granted, including the use of steady cams and having cameras on stage versus in the audience. Dance Craze was also one of the first films recorded with Dolby Sound. The steady cam was invented 
the, the high-speed lenses were invented, the Zeiss lenses were 1.4 aperture, so this is all shot with slow film, it was like a 100 ASA film, but shot at 1.4. Um, and when we did the first, we, we, we tried to explain this to the other specials of Selector, I can't remember the time, I said, can I try my experiment? So I tried my experiment, then they rented a cinema in Southampton, just Cape Craster Cinema, to see the rushes, because I said, if you don't like it, we won't make a film. You know, we won't make a film. You take all the pressure off of who's the rights, who's going to look lovely, who's not going to look lovely. Anyway, so so we, 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 we showed it in the cinema in Southampton, and they all sang along with the piece, because we didn't have sound, but they all sang along with the music. <laughs> and, and that spread to every other band. So in the end, I think we had 13 bands. The film has no introduction or interviews to provide context, but Dunton did add in old British newsreel Look at life footage from the 50s and 60s. The intro is a look at life intro, which was a spoof, really. Everybody thinks it was a documentary, but I actually meant it was a spoof on it, because I used to go to cinema and we all used to see Look at Life film, yeah. didn't we? So it was a spoof on Look at Life, but everybody classed it as a documentary. I still class it as a feature. Uh, it's, it's feature length. It is feature It's a short feature length. And, um, you know, it's there for history, hopefully. Dunton made the film to be seen in movie theaters, which adds to its immediacy. Truly, I made it for the cinema, you know, to sit, because you, you experience what I wanted it to be. And, you know, it was, because on a television, it's hard to experience that. You, you, you know, it's, you, you, it's really hard to experience that. The you are there quality of the shows had to do with Dunton and other cameramen being up on the stage with steady cams. You, you, you can tell the closeness. I was in amongst the closeness of all of that. We had two steady cams in, in uh, the, the, the beat were in America. With Garrett Brown, the inventor of the steady cam, was the other steady. So it was the first time we'd done two steady cams on stage. And it's a wonderful machine for that. I mean, you felt like you was a band player. I, I, I hope you felt that you were in the band. You know what I mean? It wasn't the third, everybody does a third row shot. You know, the beat, everybody on the stage, and you, as if the camera's in the third, third row. Like my friend here's got a third row shot. <laughs> but, um, do you know what I mean, it, 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 it gave you the feeling that you were with them, you know? And I got used to them, I played, played, I was like another instrument because I would have to move. One of the shots, you see Pauline come up to me, we nearly collided, and she gave me a dodgy look. Because we collided, you know, she was going, and I was going in, and we, we nearly collided. But. One of the film's editors, Tony Sloman, and Dunton recalled some of the chaos of the live shows and how they incorporated it into the film. Uh, a fight actually broke out before we were shooting, and, and, and um, uh, the director, Joe Masso, wasn't any of the, sh the shoots and wasn't really around at the time. And um, the, the camera crew came up to me as editor, just, uh, just there, really, and said, um, can, we, can we film the fight? Can we film the fight? And Joe's just told you that they were short magazines. And I don't remember Joe being there. I might have looked for him. I, might have, yeah. I wouldn't have even tried to phone him. And I said, no. I said, go on, we can get it on the news. You know, we can get it on the news. I said, no, we haven't, we haven't got that much footage. Um, so we never filmed the fight, but we certainly filmed the specials. I, I simulated the fight. The fight sequence I simulated. The boot ballet, I don't know if you, I didn't know how to get out of that one. So we made a, Dr. Martins was a big thing, wasn't it, at that time. And we made a boot ballet. And, that was shot at Lee, wasn't it? Yeah, so Lee's. From, from a shoe commercial. I think we, we stole the stage from the steps from the shoe commercial. <laughs> when Two Tone was purchased by Chrysalis, 
A lot of people at the label were unhappy with the quality of the film, and the original film stock appears to have been quote-unquote lost in the transfer of property. Despite the excitement that the film initially generated, Dunton was never paid for his work on the film. Here's a quote from Dunton that he shared with a um, 70 millimeter website that was celebrating the anniversary of Dance Craze. We finished the film. I ended up with a contract that offered me 10% of the movie. And then, as in those days, I got a telex from Chrysalis Records to say it was 1%. I told them that they had left the zero off. No, no, they said, we have done a new deal. I still never got my wages then but I had 30 people on the payroll editing the film, so they really pushed me into saying, let's get on and finish the film. I still have not got my 1%. Over time, Dance Craze became a holy grail for me, and I would stay on the lookout for it whenever I went into record stores. Finally, sometime in the late 80s or early 90s, I spied an incredibly overpriced VHS copy in the video section of Vintage Vinyl in Forge, New Jersey, and splurged on it. Despite the high price, which I seem to remember is somewhere around $50, watching the film was everything I hoped and dreamed it would be. It brought the sound and energy of two-tone to life. Written by Tchaikovsky. For all you classical music lovers. I was mesmerized by what I saw. The beat, the specials, and the selector were especially striking, and though nearly 10 years had passed since it had been released, the visceral quality entranced me. Looking back on it, Dunton is satisfied with the film. To me, it's a piece of work that has has done what I wanted it to do. You captured that moment, and then 30 years later, we still got that moment. While many of the artists in the film are still active musically in one form or another, There has been no indication by anyone involved that there is any chance of this ever being re-released. However, my fingers are crossed that one day it will receive the proper Blu-ray release it deserves. I hope you've enjoyed this audio documentary about Dance Craze. Please keep an eye out for Ska Boom, which will be released in early 2021. Take care.
Lovely.